0: Wrestler court, Keenan and Turtle Wrestler Court, Keenan and Turtle Wrestler Court, Keenan and Turtle, yeah. Keenan and Turtle in the wrestler court. One's a fan, the other used to ref the sport. One will speak and then the other will retort. Things could get heated, someone could get hurt at Wrestler Court, Keenan
1: and Turtle, Wrestler Court.
2: What's up everybody? Welcome to the Wrestler Court podcast with Keenan and Turtle. I'm Keenan and I'm Turtle. We have a great show for you today. Big guest, big guests continue to roll on here on the podcast, but last week we had good old JR Jim Ross talking all things slob Knocker. Lots of good feedback from him. It, he was he's a historian.
0: He's great. He, I just love listening. I could listen to him for hours tell stories.
2: He's one of those people that if you just ask him a question and let him talk, He's going to he's going to talk forever and ever and ever and you're sitting under the learning tree of one of the greatest ever do it.
0: It it, it boggled my mind just listening to recall so many matches, so many people, so many names that just off the top of his head. It's almost like the Ray Dinger of wrestling.
2: <laughs> Certainly two Hall of Famers there, Ray Dinger and Jim Ross. Love the uh love the comparison there. But we said a big guest. We have a huge, huge guest. guest today. The one and only Eric Bischoff. I got to tell you Turtle I've worked with these guys over the years. I've developed relationships with so many in the wrestling world, and every now and again, there's one that'll still get me. Having Eric Bischoff was one that kind of got me because it's Eric Bischoff. He was in the middle of the Monday Night Wars, and he's somebody that over the years has taken a liking to me and I've developed a great relationship with.
0: that, That was my wrestling start. I've always was a fan. I would watch it early mornings or with my father or whatever, but I was never really a hardcore guy. The Monday Night Wars is what drew me in, is what appealed to me about wrestling. It was it was a, almost a team sport. It was Team A versus Team B, battling
2: it out for supremacy. It was great. Well, we're going to get into all of that, but something happened this week. There was a lot of big news going on in wrestling, but... If you want to call it big news, but I get you, go. Just yesterday, a video seemed to surface that got the internet in a stir... And then not too long after, it was revealed that it was a video from 2015. Of course, The Rock trashing Tyrese. And if you haven't seen or haven't heard, Tyrese put heat on The Rock for pushing back the next uh, installment the of Furious, the uh, of yeah. Fast and Furious movie. And it just fit into to everything that was going on with these guys. And it was a classic Rock 2002 promo. And I went nuts on social media over this. You did. You texted me instantly. Did you see this? Instantly. Did you watch it? It was amazing. And then TMZ broke the story that it was a 2015 video. I was so disappointed. It, it, first of all, it made me
0: laugh when I heard it because it fit so well. It fit, like you said, with the heat that Tyrese just put on The Rock. And I was like, wow, you know what? Rock's going to respond. And then I saw it. He did. But then it was not really that. But it fit.
2: It worked. I'm going to pretend it was that. Why not? It wasn't Dwayne Johnson talking to Tyrese. That was The Rock talking oh, to Tyrese. He laid the smack down as only The Rock can. But hey, real quick. Let's go back to Monday Night Raw. And if if I can, if I may for a second, Shh. Sierra, Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield. it First of all, that was damn let the experts do
0: that. Darn it. And you know the what else The hounds was of bad? justice
2: are back together for the first time since 2014. That's bad,
0: too. It's terrible. I hate reusing old gimmicks. And especially, you know, what you're going to say is, who says it's only a one-off? Who says? Because it's only going to be a one-off. They have different plans for these guys going forward.
2: We don't know that. We're not on the inside. Who says this is a I'm one-off? I'm on the
0: inside because I say I'm on the inside.
2: Think of the possibilities here that the Shield could go, the matches that we could have, the, where the Shield could go from here. Who says that they can't uh, work the New Day in a series of matches? Who says? Because they're not on the same brand? It doesn't matter. We can do. So the Shield's just transitioning all over the company now? John Cena does. Oh, that's true. You could be world champion on Monday, literally. You could walk out on Raw world champion. That's how crazy wrestling is. That, I'd be a great world champion, I'm just saying. I don't really know about that. What would my finisher be, real But quick? who says that... What would the, your The turtle be? stomp? I don't know. That's
0: the turtle big, shell? That's we got to think the about The turtle shell. Oh, the turtle shell. We'll go back to this sometime later, but I'm curious what my gimmick would be what my persona will be let's talk about this
2: another episode but go on the half shell turtles in a half shell turtle power (laughs)
0: but but really it you're right and who says it's a one-off but my own personal feelings with this is just used up and old
2: bring up the undisputed era from nxt adam cole bobby fish kyle o'reilly the club and ad finn balor samoa joe and the authors of pain there are multiple possibilities here that could all lead to big money possibilities with the Shield. You're not wrong, and
0: I get that point. But until they do it, I'm going to assume the worst, and which is what I do mostly about WWE usually now. You
2: know what else this does? You know what else this does? It that helps we never Roman got? Reigns. It sets up a possible WrestleMania main event: the Shield versus the Shield versus the Shield, Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns versus Dean Ambrose. Which is something we never got. For the universal title. Why not? Why not? Y- you're not wrong.
0: You're making good points. I understand what you're saying. But until proven otherwise, it's a one-off to me. And it's, it's a waste of time. Especially starting it off with such a forced trifecta you're putting him in.
2: While the Shield re- reuniting was a big story on Monday Night Raw, a bigger story yes. came out of during the day at Monday Night Raw. And apparently, we don't have any of this confirmed yet, Details are still coming out as of this time. There was an incident with Neville Monday afternoon at Monday Night Raw, and apparently that led to him asking for his release. Ryan sat in over at ProWrestlingSheet.com. He does a great job over there, by the way. Reports that Neville walked out of WWE Raw on Monday following not being happy with the current cruiserweight situation, along with requesting his release from WWE. Originally, he was scheduled to put over Enzo in the Lumberjack main event, and then you saw, obviously, Callisto going over for the cruiserweight title. In that match, new Cruiserweight champion in Callisto, the bigger story here is, what's next for Neville? What's the real story with Neville? Did he ask for his release from WWE? He obviously walked out. Where do we go from here? What happens? I don't know. I, he was perfect for the Cruiserweight
0: division. I loved his new gimmick when he came back. Evil Neville, king of the Cruiserweights, the whole nine yards. I get it. I like it. But where is he going to go on the main roster? Maybe he was disappointed with the Cruiserweight division as a whole. We don't know. He wasn't going anywhere on the main roster because he was effectively too small.
2: Well, let's be honest. The cruiserweight division is kind of a failure, no? Yes, correct. I mean, he's a bright spot certainly in that division, but being a bright spot even in that division or, or any division really doesn't necessarily translate to bringing in viewers, and I don't believe that it's going to be a blow to 205 Live or the Cruiserweight division at all. I mean, it, it was a failing division to begin with. You can't, you can't be a blow to anything that's not already inflated. Yeah, I mean, they have no
0: storylines. They have no time. I don't watch 205 Live often, but when I do, it, there's nothing. It's just generic matches of random
2: people turning heel and face. It's, give me some kind of reason to, to dive in. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think I've watched one full episode of 205 Live ever. Because it, it's not entertaining. Ever. I mean, in, in its whole existence, I'll watch for certain guys, like Drew Gulak's a Philadelphia guy, so sure. I'll watch for him. I've worked with him many times, so I'll watch for him, a couple other guys, but beginning to end, I I don't think I've watched a whole episode. The
0: Cruiserweight Classic was a huge success. It was entertaining. It was something that can only work like that. And unless you're going to give these guys, these kids, whatever, actual TV time, or maybe even a bit of crossover to the actual main roster,
2: it's never going to work. Of course, never one to miss an opportunity. The Young Bucks just yesterday tweeted (laughs) Neville a picture of a Bullet Club t-shirt. These guys, they are such opportunists. We're going to get into the Young Bucks in great detail... Uh, at some point, we're also going to get him on the show here at some point. But <laughs> they are fantastic. It's worth noting, as of this time, Neville is still under contract to the WWE. He has not been granted and they any. Yeah, they don't have to give him that any release. type of release. And even when you ask for one, talent isn't necessarily granted uh, one right away or granted at all. You know, if you don't want to be there, I'm pretty sure that they're going to let you go. But it, it's going to be on their terms. Yeah, you, you'll pay them back. You'll do whatever it says in your contract. Can we? Can we just discuss something that? I was over. I was over about a year ago. Okay. And this this move that they made on Sunday just doesn't sit well with me. Baron Corbin, as the United States champion, is a total waste. I think Baron Corbin as a
0: wrestler is a total waste. I
2: get he's not entertaining to me in the slightest. How many chances do you have to give a guy? who is not getting a reaction from the crowd, who embarrasses the company on social media, and who is in the same position now, regardless of having the United States title, that he was when he debuted in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. It seems unlimited. That's what they do with Roman Reigns. This guy will never be a needle mover for the company, ever.
0: Doesn't seem it.
2: He will never be a top merch seller. It's, it's, It's beyond me. And your feelings on Ty Dillinger aside... The United States title is the equivalent to the Intercontinental title. Absolutely, no, yeah. That's the workhorse title. Well, especially considering they put
0: the uh, championship title on somebody and then crushed the other guy, who are fairly irrelevant now too, which is another story. They put the main event of the Hell in the Cell wasn't their championship, wasn't their U.S. title. It was a completely, I don't want to say made-up match, but a highly entertaining match. They're
2: crushing their titles on this brand, and I don't get it. So let me understand this. You, the workhorse of SmackDown Live and AJ Styles yes. drops the title to a guy that can't walk a mile in his shoes. Not even a 10 feet in his shoes. Bad move. Just a bad move. Hopefully it doesn't last too, too long. I mean, They had the guy walking around on SmackDown Live throwing the, Smack, uh, the United States title in people's faces. Yeah. And I'm just going... Maybe that's genuine heat that I just genuinely don't like him. I don't know him as a person, but I don't like him as a talent. And that, that pre-tape infuriated me.
0: He's not entertaining. He's not, he doesn't get me angry. He bores
2: me. And unfortunately, that happens all too often on that product these days. Ty Dillinger, who can outwork Baron Corbin in his sleep. And I know, I get it. I understand. I've talked to you about this off air. Wrestling's the last thing that matters in WWE. Absolutely. It's the last thing that matters. But he was the better candidate to go over here. He kind of needed the United States title
0: a bit. AJ Styles doesn't need a championship to be over. AJ Styles doesn't need a belt. It doesn't need a title. He's that darn good. He's the best worker on that brand, aside from Kevin
2: Owens. And so it seems, aside from Shane McMahon. But that's beside the point. And you could have gotten a ton of mileage out of Phenomenal 1 versus the Perfect 10 rematches. Absolutely. Maybe. 10. 10. Ten. And that's the worst. Like it's it's a maybe ba- a best it's, of ten it's, series. It's
0: Bailey as a guy doing this ten thing. It's ugh. maybe you could have gotten a best of ten series. You know. Oh jeez. Ty Dillinger. A, we're back to best of seven, like they would Sheamus and Cesaro. Oh, God. It'll take forever, and I'll have some random falls and disqualifications. No, but I get your point. I understand that, and I don't get it. They, WWE has this problem of handpicking guys out of the blue. That they just want to push. No matter what. No matter what happens. And right now there are two quote unquote top guys on each brand. Don't move the needle for me at all. That's why you brought the shield back together. To get them over for Roman Reigns. That's why you seemingly gave Baron Corbin the title. To get some sort of notice me.
2: With any luck. Baron Corbin puts over Ty Dillinger. Who needs the United States title. And we can now elevate a new talent. Sure. To an upper mid-card level, and they've now made a new star. But we're going to have to see what happens. But coming up next, the former president of World Championship Wrestling and the former general manager of WWE Monday Night Raw, Eric Bischoff, steps into wrestler court. Don't go anywhere. Easy E. Coming back.
1: Hi, everybody. It's good old JR Jim Ross, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to Wrestler Court with Keenan. And
2: Turtle. All right, Turtle. Slam down the gavel. Court is now in session. We have somebody on the line. That, in my opinion, is a definition of a life success. This man took a company from generating $24 million in revenue to generating $350 million in revenue in only three years. Of course, we're talking about World Championship Wrestling. Back in the 90s, he is the former president of World Championship Wrestling, former executive producer of Impact Wrestling, former Monday Night Raw general manager, author of the book Controversy Creates Cash, and host of Bischoff on Wrestling over there on the MLW Radio Network. They do a fantastic job. His name is Eric Bischoff, and he's on the line with us right now. Hi, Eric.
1: How you doing, Kevin? Good to be with you, man.
2: I appreciate you coming on uh, for a couple of minutes with us. Now, let us we'll get into some wrestling in just here in a second, but I first wanted to touch on Bischoff on Wrestling, of course. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and The direction we as a society are headed with social media and podcasts and the like, was this just the natural progression for you to jump into the podcast world?
1: You know, I don't know if it was a natural progression or not. Um, I have been approached by a number of people um, over the course of a couple of years to do a podcast. And I I really didn't have much interest in it because, you know, quite frankly, I didn't know much about podcasting. And, you know, most of the people that approached me didn't really know much more (laughs) than I did. So I I just kind of shied away from it. But, uh, you know, Nick Housman approached me, and he was very enthusiastic and and a real entrepreneur. And and he just, you know, he he convinced me that it was a good idea. and I've I've had a blast doing it. It's a lot of fun.
2: Well, we're a young podcast as well. We're having a lot of fun as well. And uh, podcasting is something definitely we all enjoy. So take me into the boardroom today. Let's jump into some WCW, where you had the infamous meeting with Ted Turner, where he asked you, how to compete with WWE, a question self-admittedly you weren't ready for. Your response was, give me prime time. Now you have a two-hour Monday Night Live show to produce every single week. What was your thought in that moment, considering it was something you just threw out there?
1: Uh, <laughs> you know, in retrospect, um, I think it was probably, probably, you know, be careful what you wish for, cause it, <laughs> because it could come true kind of things. Um, I, the last thing I expected was for, uh, for Ted to to turn around and, you know, offer me, you know, two hours of... of and he didn't offer it. To me. He gave it to me and told me I had to do it. It was the last thing I expected. I was overwhelmed. Wasn't sure quite what to do, um, but I knew I had to do something. I had to do it well.
0: <laughs> One of the biggest things that happened to Nitro in years was the debut of The Outsiders, being portrayed as that they came from Vince McMahon to overtake WCW. How did that all go down? How did the negotiations go? Did you ever have a time in your mind where you didn't think that would happen?
1: Um, Well, you wrapped three questions into one right there. But um, first of all, you know I I think it differed. You know, although a lot of people felt as though they were sent by Vince McMahon, that wasn't the intent. Despite you know the narrative to the contrary, the, the, the basic premise for that story was really quite simple, and it should be obvious you know, to people if they don't listen to the narrative. But, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had both worked for WCW before they went to WWE. And both of them were, you know, featured and, you know, prominent performers at WCW, but they they were never, you know, they never became real stars because WCW didn't have the ability to make people into real stars at that time. Uh, Both Scott and Kevin felt like, as a lot of people did that were in WCW at that time, they weren't treated well, they weren't given the right opportunities, they weren't appreciated. The typical talent gripes that you would normally hear. And they both went to WWE or WWF at that time, and both of them went on to become big stars, because WWF at that time was a much bigger platform. And they had the ability to create stars. And they were better at it, quite frankly, than WCW was. Keep in mind WCW, if you keep everything in the context, was a relatively new company. Ted Turner had purchased NWA out of bankruptcy from the Crockets in nineteen eighty nine, late eighty eight or eighty nine, and by nineteen ninety two or ninety three both Scott and Kevin were gone. So W C W was a new company, it was struggling and there's a lot of changes going on and all that kind of stuff, but the end, the end of all that is that both Scott and Kevin left WCW, went on to WWF, became big stars, and then the premise for the NWO storyline was that Scott and Kevin were coming back to WCW to kind of take revenge and 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 prove that they weren't given the opportunities to become stars that they should have been given when they were at WCW. That was the premise of the storyline. Right? Now, a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that you know the premise of the story was they were invading, you know, WCW from the WWF. But that was that was really not the premise. It was kind of a byproduct.
2: As the NWO Eric became the hottest act uh, in wrestling, you arguably had the biggest star in the industry at the time, at Hulk Hogan, who had just turned heel for the first time and is kind of in brand new waters in this role. Was it hard managing a talent of that caliber who had some sort of level of creative control where every move and business decision was crucial? Again, you know,
1: it's kind of like the, you know, the internet narrative was that, you know, Hulk's creative control was a problem. And it never really was. Uh, Hulk never really exercised, well, with the exception of one or two instances, but it had nothing to do with you know, him being selfish or anything else, um, I, it was never an issue, uh, from my perspective, of Hulk having creative control. He was a very generous guy, you know, creatively. He wanted to make sure that things made sense, there was logic behind it, there was a reason behind doing certain things. But, again, the Internet narrative would, you know, lead people to believe that, you know, Hulk's creative control was some kind of, you know, big challenge that I had to overcome and created a bunch of problems. But quite frankly, you know, nothing could be further from the truth.
2: Of course, we're talking with Eric Bischoff, host of Bischoff on Wrestling over there on the MLW Radio Network. New episodes dropping every Wednesday. You know,
0: the Monday Night Wars are something that we'll never see again, and it's one of my favorite times in wrestling history. I I became a huge fan at that time. But uh, Cody Rhodes actually had something interesting to say recently on Jericho's podcast, and he said...
2: He actually said that people are waiting for 96 and 97 and realizing that you're in the middle of a wrestling boom. It's happening now because wrestling is accessible. It's not difficult to find what you want. If you don't like the WWE, you can turn on New Japan World. If you like the WWE, you have the network. If you want to watch ROH, you turn on the pay-per-view. Do you feel he's correct in that assessment? And what is the type of ceiling for this boom? You know, I disagree. I mean, I think Cody's right
1: to a degree because there is so much more wrestling available because there's so many different ways to watch wrestling. So that if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, you know, you can find all kinds of wrestling that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you would have never had access to. So I think in that regard, um, he's right. I think if you look at where wrestling is, on I mean, pop culture, kind of Richter scale and the awareness of it in mainstream, uh, I don't think we'll ever see a wrestling boom like we had in 96, 97, 98 um, ever again for the, because of for the very reason that, that Cody points out, because there's so many different ways to ingest entertainment now, whether it's wrestling or anything else. The, the, the must-see nature of, of television content, whether it's wrestling or scripted series or even sports. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, people talk, you know, talk a lot about why ESPN is struggling, and there's probably a lot of reasons why they are. But I think if you, you know, get down to the core of it all, it's simply because people no longer have to get their content off of television because they don't have to watch television anymore, and it's no longer appointment television or must-see TV or any other buzzwords that used to be associated with really hot programming. Nothing's hot. Everything is kind of lukewarm. But the other manifestation of that is that it's just not... Wrestling isn't the pop culture phenomenon that it was in 96, 97, 98. I don't think it ever will be again, quite frankly.
2: With WCW seemingly on its last legs, Eric, yourself and Fusion Media uh, signed a letter of intent to purchase the company and then Turner Broadcasting at the time canceled all WCW programming, which turned the, the deal to be meaningless. How did you find out about the cancellation of all programming?
1: Uh, well, it was AOL well-timed order it canceled. It wasn't That's Turner. Right. It was a yep. gentleman
2: by the name of Jamie Kilmer
1: who had had just been recently hired to come in and oversee all of the AOL Time Warner programming. I found out about it quite frankly. Uh, I was in Hawaii with my family and preparing to consummate the acquisition of WCW, which had been in the works for several months, almost a year, and knew that you know once the transaction was consummated. I also knew that I was probably going to be working 15, 18 hours a day, seven days a week for the next two years. And I thought, okay, well, while well, I've got a little bit of a, a break in the action here, I'm going to, you know, spend some time with my wife and my kids. You know, my kids were very young at that time. So we went to Hawaii and I was literally on a beach, uh, in Waikiki and I got a phone call and was informed that the deal was done. And when I, when I heard the, the, the term, the deal is done. I thought it was consummated, <laughs> right? And unfortunately, done meant dead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it, it, it took you know a few minutes for that to really register with me. But once it did, it was uh, you know it was you know it was it was disheartening. It was overwhelming, you know, for a little while because we'd worked so hard. It, you know, we'd done the Wall Street song and dance, and done the conference calls, and you know, did the you know press releases and. For all intents and purposes, that deal was consummated uh, informally in every way it could have been. So we were all very shocked when, you know, the deal collapsed.
0: Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently to ensure that WCW didn't end up in the state it did?
1: Uh, That's a very good question. But, again, you know, context is king. You know, in a discussion like this, and what people have to realize... And again, the internet narrative, you know, the WWE narrative would lead you to believe that WWE defeated Vince McMahon beat Ted Turner. That's not true. WWE didn't defeat WCW. Vince McMahon didn't beat Ted Turner. AOL Time Warner defeated WCW. AOL Time Warner didn't want wrestling in his portfolio regardless of how successful it was. And that's why WCW went away, and that's why WWE or Vince McMahon was able to purchase it for pennies on a dollar because AOL Time Warner didn't want it. It's really that simple. And if you look at it from that perspective and in that context, um, there's nothing Eric Bischoff or, or anybody else uh, could have done that would have changed the course of history with regard to WCW. Um, it's just... It, it, It wasn't going to happen. AOL Time Warner simply did not want to be in the wrestling business in any way, shape, or form, regardless of how successful it was.
2: Eric, the night you walked out on Monday Night Raw was certainly a jaw-dropping event for me as a fan. Uh, And you hugged Vince McMahon on stage. definitely a night that's going to go down in history. Walk me through that entire day. What measures did WWE take to keep you a secret? And what was the reaction of some of the boys when they eventually saw you?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we've all seen it Um, with regard to, you know, reaction to some of the boys. It was all real, by the way. Um, In terms of, you know, the extent, the degrees to which we, you know, went to keep it a secret, I think I had a lot to do with that. You know, when I first talked to Vince McMahon on the phone and subsequently to Stephanie, and you know, we knew that we were going to move forward, um, I was the one that suggested to them that we absolutely keep this secret and that, for example, I suggested to the WWE that they do not purchase, you know, an airline ticket for me because, you know, anybody that's been in, you know, an office like WWE knows that if if Eric Bischoff's name shows up in the travel department, um, that word's going to get out. It's really hard to keep a secret. And, (laughs) I knew that was going to happen. I've been through that before myself. I went to CW, so I, you know, I told Vince or suggested to Vince. I didn't tell Vince anything, but I suggested um, that I purchase my own plane ticket. That way, nobody's going to see my name in any kind of travel documents within WWE headquarters. Um, they did make my hotel reservation. I didn't make my own. They did that for me, uh, but they were able to keep it quiet. And we, you know, we. You know, and I don't know, I wasn't, you know, on the other side of it, but to the, my knowledge, you know, Vince obviously knew, Stephanie, um, the legal department. Um, I don't know how many, you know, Kevin Dunn obviously knew. There was a small handful of people that knew I was coming in, but they did a great job of, of keeping it quiet. I certainly didn't tell anybody. You know, my wife knew. Um, my lawyer knew. Uh, but that was it. You know, I didn't tell any friends. I didn't, you know, didn't tell you know, close friends of mine in the business like Hulk or anybody else. I, I kept it to myself, and it worked really, really well. People in wrestling, I mean, people like surprises in general.
0: Absolutely. Or, you know, in wrestling,
1: yeah. in wrestling, In wrestling in particular, you know, that's something that's lacking. It's really hard to keep a secret in the the wrestling (laughs) business. It's the old saying, you know, telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler. Tell a wrestler,
0: yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of returns, you returned to the for the WWE first time in almost ten years when you inducted in DDP into the WWE Hall of Fame. How did it feel to be back? How did it feel to see all the guys again? And do you watch much of the current product at all?
1: You're really good at asking a lot of questions in one.
0: (laughs) I try. (laughs) <laughs> Eric's have good question answering here.
1: Uh, let's see. How did it feel to go back? It, you know, it was great. It was, you know, DDP is, you know, I've got a long and a great history with with Dallas, and I was honored, quite frankly, you know, to be asked. Uh, it was a little awkward for me because we all knew, myself in particular, that you know, I was a, I was a second choice. You know, ideally, it would have been Dusty Rhodes, and. You know, unfortunately, you know, he's no longer with us, and that couldn't happen. And uh, that was a little bit of an emotional moment, you know, talking about Dusty and how I would have preferred that he be there, you know, inducting Dallas instead of me. And I would have much preferred to be sitting in the audience watching Dusty induct us, you know, Dallas. But um, it was great to be back. You You know, I got a great reaction from the fans, and I'd be lying if I... I said that didn't matter to me because it did. It made me feel good, Um, especially for a guy that's been, throughout his entire career, has been booed vociferously anytime I came out. So, you know, to have people react in a positive way like that, I I wouldn't be human if it it didn't make me feel good. So it did. And there was, you know, guys I got to see that I hadn't seen in a long time, and that's always nice. But uh, it was a special moment. Glad I did it. Grateful for that opportunity. and, And it was great.
2: Now, Eric, Roman Reigns is a guy that WWE is pushing as their top guy, their guy of the future, the guy who they want their fans to see as their top guy. But the fans at this point in time, they're just not buying it. If Eric Bischoff was booking Roman Reigns, how would you do it?
1: I failed to ask the last part of the previous question, which is how much of the product do I really watch? And I don't. Um, I don't watch a lot of television anymore. Um and I, I, you know, I drop in. Probably, yeah, I, I probably catch an hour and a half a week, uh, a week maybe an yeah, hour and a half every two weeks. I kind of drop in drop out, depending on what I read about what's going on. Sometimes I'm, I'll, I'll pay particular attention to, it, but somebody I know or somebody I'm, you know, uniquely interested in. Um, so I don't watch a ton of the products. So I'm not really all that familiar. But Roman Reigns is a guy that I've been saying for. A year and a half now that I think should be, you know, one of, if not the top guys, one of the top guys in WWE. He has all of the ingredients, uh, in my opinion. But I also think that, for whatever reason, um, WWE has tried to force him to swim upstream for the last year, year and a half. They've gone against the grain. And in terms of what I would do, it's hard for me to say, because I really don't know Robert Reigns all that well. I don't know where his real potential lies. Something tells me um, that there's a lot more potential there in him, but for whatever reason, they're asking him to portray a character that is about 10 or 15% off of the mark. And sometimes it's that last 10 or 15% that makes all the difference in the world. Look at The Rock. They you know, brought him out in a couple different variations, and Rocky might be in, you know, they brought him out and tried a couple things with him, and it just didn't work. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, before he was Stone Cold Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he was a ringmaster. Fell flat on his ass. And it's that last 10% when the real person can identify more closely with the character and vice versa, that's when you strike gold. It, it happened with, with Rock. It happened with with Austin. It's probably happened, you know, in, in many other instances that, that we could all, you know, the NWO, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash became, you know, bigger stars in WCW than they ever were in WWE because they were allowed to be more themselves. And those characters resonated more with the audience as a result of that. Um, there's a lot of instances that we could probably point you to demonstrate that. But I I would if it was me, I would want to spend a lot more time getting to know Roman and looking for that last ten percent of who that character really should be and not trying to retrofit him into a character type that I thought uh as the as a producer or a writer is the right one. Sometimes you just gotta let a lot of character by themselves.
0: You know, I've always been curious, and I'm one of your many followers on Twitter, and you're very, very vocal about your political opinions. Uh, have you ever considered running for office at any level?
1: No. <laughs> no. no. <Brother>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got way to too many skeletons in my closet. <laughs> it's not a closet. It's a mausoleum. <laughs>
2: All right, Eric, last question. With everything you've done throughout your professional career, AWA, WCW, WWE, Impact, your own company, Bischoff, Hervey Entertainment, all everything in between, all the shades of gray, when it's all said and done, how does Eric Bischoff want to be remembered?
1: As a guy who tried to create and innovate and present the product, the wrestling product, in a whole new way,
2: Well, Eric, you are a gentleman, and an absolute pro, and I always enjoyed uh, when we got to work together. Hopefully we can do some more soon. We thank you for taking the time to come on with us for a few minutes today. Next time we run into each other, lunch and beer on me, all right?
1: You got to do it, man. I look forward to it, Kevin.
2: Appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. Be well. Turtle, the great Eric Bischoff. Our thanks to Eric for coming on Wrestler Court and spending a few minutes with us. If you like that interview, do us a favor. Head over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe for us. Follow us on Twitter, the show account, please, at Wrestler Court. Of course, myself on Twitter, at Real Kev Keenan, and my co-host, Turtle, here, at Eric S. Golden. Coming up next week, we have the Impact World Heavyweight Champion. His name is Eli Drake, and he's going to be on talking about all things Bound for Glory coming up on November 5th from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Until then, this has been Wrestler Court with Keenan and Turtle, powered by Sports Radio 94. WIP.